0: Hello and welcome to Conversations and Community Leadership, a project from Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement at North Carolina A&T. This course is stewarded by Dr. Karen Jackson. Now, here's the show.
1: Hello, my name is Shalee Forney, and I will be speaking about victim inclusion to reframe grief and loss among Black youth in the United States. African American juveniles have grown up in environments that are often underserved. They have seen childhood friends, family members, and classmates murdered. Social welfare welfare services may not be readily available. They may may be culturally acceptable to serve this population. These juveniles are disproportionately represented in the juvenile justice system at an alarming rate. Most have entered the system at an early age and have experienced complex, chronic, and acute forms of trauma. They face many life-changing challenges such as loss of livelihood and family separation. They are unsure of how to process and deal with grief in ways that are healthy and do not result in re-victimization and recidivism and intergenerational trauma. Restorative justice can promote resolution of this trauma within the juvenile justice system. An extensive literature review examined how restorative justice can support the rebuilding and repair of communities that have been harmed through victim inclusion, victim-offender mediation, and sentence in circles. Reframing grief in juveniles is a healthy way for juveniles to learn how to cope with the loss as well as how to move forward in life without the loss negatively affecting their mental well-being and putting them at further risk in the criminal justice system. So how do we reframe grief in minority juveniles within the juvenile justice system through restorative justice? So first, I want to talk about minority youth grief and the response to that. So minority youth grief looks a little bit different from any other grief. Minorities are two times more likely to have lost a father and three times more likely to have lost a mother. Not to mention being black in America and all of the senseless violence that has been occurring um, and the deaths of young black males such as Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Michaela Bryant, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and here recently, Ralph Yarl, thankfully he's still alive. So just imagine all of the grief that they're carrying and the weight of their uh, of the world essentially on their shoulders of just being a black juvenile in America. Other forms of black um, of grief in America are abandonment, school behaviors, running away, abuse, delinquency, hunger, mental health, instability. So what is the response to these minority types of grief? So more than likely, it's going to be a referral to the Department of Juvenile Justice, police involvement, court involvement, probation, diversion plans or contracts, detention centers, and out-of-home placements. So there's already a racial grief gap. So I want to talk to you about another racial gap, such as the DMC. So, there's two pictures that I want you to have in your mind. So, one picture is a picture of a detention center, and the question around that detention center is, what's wrong with you? And then the other picture is a picture of a beautiful home, and the question around it is, what do you need? So, when you think about those two pictures, I want you to think about the DMC, the Disproportionate Minority Contact. This was created by the Governor's Crime Commission in 2002 to investigate the disproportionate amount of minority (laughs) juveniles that were coming into contact with law enforcement. Findings showed that about 69% of minority juveniles that were coming into contact with law enforcement, more than likely, they were going home to that detention center at the end of the night. And 31% of um, white juveniles that were coming into contact with law enforcement, more than likely, they were going to go home to a beautiful home at the end of the night. So how do we bridge those racial gaps? Through restorative justice. So there are five R's in restorative justice, respect, responsibility, relationship, repair, and reintegration. Juvenile justice was originally created to be more restorative, less punitive, and not to treat juveniles as adults. So what does restorative justice look like? Who is a part of the process, and how do you do it? How do we do it? So who's a part of the process, of course, is a juvenile or the offender as they're referred to, their families, counselors, therapists, law enforcement, court personnel, um School personnel, anyone who is connected to a juvenile in any capacity can be a part of the process. And what does, look, what does this look like? Everyone has a seat at the table. We have alternatives to detention, community-based programming, drug and teen court, family group conference circles, mediation, victim inclusion, offender mediation. It's a healing-centered approach. And one thing that I want to talk about while we're on this um, Conversations of Healing I wanna talk about counter storytelling. It gives power back to the marginalized voices. Um, Throughout history, we have always been told many stories about what happened, when it happened, how it happened, and who it happened to. However, much of that is told from the account of those of marginalized communities. How often have we been allowed to tell our own stories and share our own experiences through truth and knowledge? There's a great history of our voices being silenced from the votes to the media It is important to tell our own stories and give back power to our voices. Counter-storytelling is a tool or methodology used in critical race theory. This tool challenges and critiques the dominant perspectives on the accounts that happened in history. Not only does it challenge and critique, it also deconstructs dominant stories and ideologies embedded in years of systemic oppression and racism. Counter-storytelling fights against the knowledge and wisdom that we hold about ourselves, traditions, cultures, communities, homes, and even struggles. Stories can be told in many ways. Counter-storytelling can often be produced through music by some of your favorite artists. These musical geniuses have been teaching critical race theory to the masses for years and years before it even had a name. Systemic oppression and structural racism can be heard through some of the greats such as Marvin Gaye and Tupac. Their lived experiences shared through music, specifically rap or spoken words, shall light and truth on the ongoing struggles that marginalized communities have faced over the years and even to present day. Through their music, you gain knowledge about structural racism and the systems built to keep marginalized people vulnerable and oppressed, such as the breakdown of the family, structure, the crack cocaine epidemic, violence, and lack of awareness or knowledge. So I want to talk about Marvin Gaye's song, What's Going On, released in 1971 and was known as a protest anthem. This song was co-written by Renato Benson and Al Cleveland. During this period, veterans were returning home from the Vietnam War and returning to a country where suffering and injustices were occurring. The artists could not believe what was going on in the world and begin to question, what's going on? There were many protests held by anti-war activists and people who were wondering why young males were being sent away from their homes to serve a country that did not care about them. The social injustices continued to fuel the song as they honored and remembered the brutal riot, uh, Watts riot in 1965, where Marquette Fry was being pulled over by police while he was on parole. He was pulled over for dangerous driving without a criminal background of robbery. Without a criminal background of robbery. This stop led to a fight with police and up to six days of civil unrest. This song told the chilling stories of mothers often crying for their sons and fathers studying war too often. It offered a cure of love for all of those who were socially constructed injustices. It shifted the narrative from war and violence to a narrative of love being the answer. This song is still played today with hopes of bringing out that love and cures and combats social injustices. So this brings me to Tupac's song, Trapped, released in 1991. It talks about being trapped in a vicious cycle of poverty and violence. Being trapped in a system of oppression and violence creates an issue of mass incarceration, drugs, police brutality, and racism. He discusses how it feels to be trapped in his community and cannot even walk the streets without being harassed by police. Within the song, he also expresses how he feels trapped and turned against by his people. A life of feeling trapped creates issues that stem from structural and environmental racism, such as drugs and violence. Introducing drugs and violence into a community creates a lack of resources and competition between people in your community. As a result, no one is posed with the threat of survival and meeting. As a result, one is posed by the threat of survival and meeting at an end to a means. Through this systemic oppression, one may be tasked with killing their own. Tupac refers to this as he got caught in the chains of his own game. This song tells the story of how one has the desire to get out of their community to be a productive member of society, but systems are often stacked up against those. And much stronger than they desire there are also many people especially young black males who are just like Tupac whose voices have been silenced shedding light and telling their story brings out the truths that need to be told so we when we talk about those conversations of healing I want to give you one example of a victim offender mediation this gives the victims an opportunity to meet with their offenders in a safe setting with the goal of holding their offender accountable Success stories show how empathy and forgiveness are required in order for this to work. Victims are often left feeling less fearful of the possibility of re-victimization, and offenders were more likely to take accountability. The child of one mother murdered the child of another mother. During the process, they discussed how hard it was for both of them as they went through the trial. During or While the mother and the offender feared for their child's life behind prison walls, the other mother not only grieved for the loss of her child, but for the loss of the offending child. She was able to have the strength and forgiveness along with empathy throughout this tedious process. So this process can work. So how do we reframe grief in minority juveniles? We have to think about respect, responsibility, and relationship, going back to three of the five R's of restorative justice. I want you to imagine kids, black kids, with earphones on their ears and just imagine what they're taking in, what they're consuming within those earphones. They're not going to hear anything on the outside. Those earphones are noise counseling. They're not going to hear anything outside of what's inside those. So what's inside those are their everyday lived experiences, what they're taking in in their communities, what they're taking in in their homes, their families, um, what's going on on the inside, that grief. It may look like they're, they're smiling on the outside and they're having a good time, but on the inside, they're struggling. They're not going to be able to hear us if we don't come at them at a place of respect. We can't go to them and ask them, what's wrong with you? They're not going to hear that. We have to show them that we have a responsibility to reduce recidivism and a responsibility to make sure that they don't go further into the criminal justice system. And we also have to come at them with a relationship. We have to build that rapport, show them that we really do care and we are interested in what they have to say. So the question that I leave with you all is, if you can come into contact with any juvenile in any capacity and you see that they may be struggling, before you ask the question, what's wrong with you, simply ask, what do you need? Thank you for listening to Voices of Refuge. I invite you to tune into next week's episode, where we will continue to bridge the gap. Hi, my name is Shalee Forney, and I will be talking about a couple of juvenile cases in the Greensboro area that have made news headlines. Multiple juveniles were pepper sprayed during a fight by a school resource officer Friday night according to a Guilford County Sheriff's Office news release. Around 9 p.m., two juveniles got in a fight at a Southern Guilford High School football game. As deputies from the G.C.S.O. were making their way toward the fight, a large crowd quickly formed around two juveniles. The school resource officer, signed SGHS, was trying to separate the two when a third person started fighting. The SRO used pepper spray on the juveniles when they didn't stop fighting after the SRO had told them to stop, the release says. The fight ended and the crowd broke up. Everyone involved in the fight was a juvenile. No injuries were reported as a result of the pepper spray, but both juveniles reported minor injuries related to the fight. No other injuries injuries, were reported. Because the people involved were juveniles, Guilford County Deputies cannot release any further information about the investigation, its outcome, or any juvenile court action that may be taken. The G-C-S-O provides a law enforcement presence at all Guilford County Schools' high school football games. G-C-S shared the following statement with Fox 8 News on Monday afternoon. On Friday night, students were involved in an altercation at the Southern Guilford High School football game. As a community, we must come together to rally behind and support our students, teachers, and staff. G-C-S has implemented additional mental health support options for students with parent permission in addition to the support of counselors and social workers. Finally, we want to reiterate what we have been saying all along. We want to stress to everyone in our community that if you see something, say something. Our Let's Talk portal is available for anyone available in our community to report and if you have an option to report anonymously. Another case study, two juveniles were detained for driving stolen cars after a brief chase, according to Greensboro Police Department. At around 11.10 a.m. on Saturday, officers attempted to pull over two juveniles driving two different stolen vehicles near the intersection of West Friendly Avenue and Allsberndale Drive. Police say that the juveniles attempted to drive away when the lights and sirens were initiated. However, one of the juveniles immediately crashed into another vehicle and was, that was not related to the investigation. After the crash, both juveniles exited the stolen vehicles and ran, but were both caught after a brief foot, put, foot pursuit. According to police, the bystander in the vehicle that was struck suffered minor injuries but was not taken to the hospital, police say. The juveniles were not injured. Next case study juvenile petition filed. Greensboro police said they have identified a 13 year old as the person of interest involved in the shooting death of a 14 year old. Police said they delivered a juvenile petition to the juvenile court services on February 28th. Shooting was Um, happened on North Church Street. Next case study. Greensboro police have arrested a juvenile suspect who robbed the Wells Fargo on Randleman Road on July 13th and the Wells Fargo on Battleground Avenue Tuesday. The suspect said he had a weapon and left with an unknown amount of cash during both robberies, according to police. They described the suspect as either a black or Hispanic man around 5 feet 9 inches tall to 6 feet tall with a slender build. He was driving a maroon colored Nissan. No one, was, no one was injured during either incident. The suspect has been charged with two counts of armed robbery. Anyone with information about this incident is asked to contact Greensboro guilford Crime Stoppers at 336-373-1000. Citizens can also download the mobile P three tips app or for Apple or Android phones to submit a mobile tip or go to p3 tips.com to submit a web tip. All tips to Crime Stoppers are completely anonymous. Next case study. Authorities arrested a juvenile early Sunday morning following a shooting that left another juvenile injured in the parking lot of Woods of Terra, a haunted house in Greensboro, according to multiple reports. In a news release obtained by WGHP, officials with Woods of Terra said the shooting happened as of the last of the haunted house customers were leaving Sunday. From what we could tell and what the sheriff's department told us, there were two gunshots fired into the air and two landed in nearby fencing while another hit one of our customers. The business owner, Eddie McLaren said in the news release, we were told that the victim and alleged shooter are both juveniles. Before the shooting, employees working in the parking lot said they saw a vehicle come in after closing. A person in the vehicle opened, the, opened fire before the vehicle left, prompting people to seek cover And at the vehicle left in the parking lot. The shooting, which took place about 45 seconds, happened around 50 customers and 60 staff members and characters were on the premises, company officials said. Within about 35 seconds, staff members began tending to the victim, who officials said appeared to have minor gunshot wound to the cheek. McLaurin said that after staff members cleaned the wound, it appeared to stop bleeding. The victim called his mother before taken to a hospital by ambulance. The victim was treated and released by the, from the hospital. Police later found the gunman who was not identified About three miles away, company officials said. According to the Woods of Terror officials, the shooting was the first crime reported at the haunted house in the 29 years it's been in business. Our entire agency is devastated by this crime because we love every one of our customers and we strive to maintain the highest level of safety and security standards for every one of our guests, McLaurin said. We take guest safety very seriously and have since day one. Next case study. Five juveniles were taken into custody after allegedly breaking into a car dealership Friday morning, according to High Point Police. Officers responded to a call about juveniles pulling door handles at Carolina Hyundai on North Main Street at approximately 3.23 a.m. Three of the juveniles are currently facing charges, meaning two 16-year-old and 17-year-olds. They are charged with the following, felony breaking and entering, felony larceny after breaking and entering, felony possession of a stolen motor vehicle. The other two juveniles who were taken into custody are 12 and 11. They are not currently facing charges related to this case, according to police. Officers said this is an ongoing investigation and additional charges are possible. A news article by the Juvenile Crime Prevention Council states, From BB guns to bomb threats to clear bags, we've got a big problem in our communities right now. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen crime involving juveniles. Two teens were arrested for the murder of two 16-year-olds just this past weekend. A 14- and 18-year-old were found dead in a field. A 17-year-old is being sought in this case. The JCPC essentially helps existing programs find the money they need from the state in order to provide help to teens. Sometimes families need support from mental health, therapy, mentors. A lot of these programs do those types of things, said JCPC Chair Marcus Jackson. One organization that was at the meeting was Youth Focus. Youth Focus is a local nonprofit that helps youth to achieve safety, security, and success. Executive Director Sarah Rothender said one way to help teens is by helping them get off the streets. And a lot of times they just need someone to show them that they care and they need those basic resources, Rothender said. She told me homelessness is a huge problem amongst our teenagers. When they are on the streets and they are stealing and getting involved in crimes, a lot of times they don't have the support and resources within their families, neighborhoods, or their communities. So offering some strong support, giving them a place to live and the things that they need, and showing them that they can be something different, Rothender said. Express. Guilford County Schools said that over 1.5 million children. Children in the United States are homeless. Last school year, more than 1,000 students in Guilford County were considered homeless. We're told these students have a greater chance of falling behind in their school work and committing crimes. Youth Focus said their goal is to reach these teens early and give them the resources they need to prevent that from happening. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Voices of Refuge. Please continue to stick around and tune in as we continue to bridge the gap in the lives of juveniles and juvenile justice.
0: Thank you for listening to Conversations and Community Leadership, a project from Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement at North Carolina A&T with your host and leader, Dr. Karen Jackson. Dr. Karen Jackson can be reached at KTJackson.com at ncat.edu. You can also check out more from North Carolina A&T and their Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement programs at https colon forward slash forward slash www.ncat.edu forward slash academics forward slash graduate hyphen programs forward slash ced forward slash leadership studies.php. You can also type it right into their main website and find it at www.ncat.edu. Thanks for listening. This has been a Big Milk Media Production.